Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of the Bible Q&A with Pastor Stephen. My name is Stephen Pace, and I'm the senior pastor at Decatur Bible Church in Decatur, Michigan. This podcast attempts to answer Bible-related questions in a clear but thorough manner. If you would like to have a Bible-related question considered for a future episode, you can email me your question to pastorstephendbc at gmail.com. Again, that's pastor, S-T-E-V-E-N-D-B-C at gmail.com. In this episode, we're going to be looking at a summary of the chronological events that occurred during the week of Passion or Easter or Holy Week, whichever you prefer to call it. So this will be the first in a two-part series, again, looking at the chronological events that happened the week of what we would think of as Easter or the week of Passion. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Now, since we normally phrase all of the responses in forms of answering questions, we're going to start off with first what occurred on Sunday of the week of Easter or the Passion of Christ. So again, turn to the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be looking at, in today's episode, chapter 11 and chapter 13. And this will serve as, as again, a chronological overview of the various events. You should be able to, by the time we finish, have a pretty good idea of what happened on Sunday through the following Sunday of the week of the crucifixion. So the first place we start is, again, what occurred on Sunday. So first, as you look at Mark chapter 11, you would want to read verses 1 through 11. So again, Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now, that is what we would think of today as Palm Sunday. So this is Sunday, the week of Easter or the Passion. And this is Sunday, Palm Sunday. And typically with this, we associate it with the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, uh, sometimes called the triumphal entry. And what you have here is, in these 11 verses, the description of what happened on that Sunday. And as you notice in verse 1, for example, the disciples with Christ, they approach Jerusalem. And there we see where they are near the Mount of Olives at Bethagy and Bethany. Now, if you notice, Bethany is a place that Jesus would often go. Uh, is the place of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So, for instance, John chapter 11. And as it says there in Mark 11, 1, it's on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. Now, one of the things that's worth noting is if you look at verses 2 through 3 and you read them, you see very clearly that Jesus tells them exactly what they will find when they go into the village he tells them exactly what they will find in verse 2. They'll find a colt that was tied there. But you'll also notice that he knows that the colt has never been ridden on before. In verses 4 through 6, what do they find? Well, they find everything exactly as Jesus told them. So just as he told them to go 
into the village to find a colt that was tied and had never been ridden on, they find it exactly that way. And we see that in verses 4 through 6. Now, I mention this because of a few reasons, one of which is it shows Jesus' omniscience. Now, again, remember that the Gospels each show Jesus from a particular viewpoint, in other words, a particular portrait of who he is. He is all four of them. John is helpful because John shows us that he is God in the flesh, and here is an example of where Christ is omniscient. And this would be in a, if you will, fairly straightforward example. Now, if you're wondering, well, okay, what is omniscience? I don't know what that is. Well, the Moody Handbook of Theology states it this way. Omniscience is, quote, the characteristic of God that means he knows all things actual and possible, whether past, present, or future. So again, throughout the Gospels in particular, we find that we can take Jesus at his word. When he says something, we can trust it and believe it 100%, not 90, not 95, not 99 but 100%. It also shows us in a very simple way that the Lord is having control and has control over all the events, all of the details of this particular week. And I think that's important because it isn't as though the Lord has lost control during this particular week of his life. He's in total control. And I'll try to mention that as we go through these two podcasts. Okay, so what happens after that? Well, in verses 9 through 11, we know that Jesus has already gotten onto the colt, and they begin to spread the palm branches and coats on the ground. And then you'll notice, and this is probably the more familiar piece of the triumphal entry, it says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. So there we see what happens there is the familiar Hosanna. In Hebrew, that gives the idea of save now. So there is the saving aspect of this. You'll also see in verse 10, it refers to the coming kingdom of our father David. And if you were to see this, of course, you can see the account also in Matthew chapter 21. They would have been thinking of the what we think of today, the Messianic kingdom, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And so there are a lot of aspects that are going on here. There is praise for the king who saves. Uh, they're also looking at it from a, if you will, fulfillment of the Davidic covenant perspective. And then Jesus enters in and goes into the temple. And as you notice, verse 11, it says, And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. So what happens on that first day, meaning Sunday of Palm Sunday, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry? He makes his way in there, if you think of Bethany and Bethagy, near the Mount of Olives. So he goes from the Mount of Olives nearby and goes into Jerusalem. He visits the temple, but then returns back again to Bethany. Now, before we move on to the events that happened on Monday and Tuesday, I will tell you that 
if you're curious in verses 9 through 10, in verse 9 in particular, there is a direct quote, and it comes from Psalm 118 in verse 26. Again, that's Psalm 118 in verse 26. And that is, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, as we move on here, having covered Sunday, what happens on Monday and Tuesday of that week? So again, having seen what happens on Palm Sunday, Jesus returns to Bethany there near the Mount of Olives. And you can see the chronological aspect pick up in verse 12, and it says, on the next day. So on Monday of that week, verse 12 through verse 19, so what we have going on here is in those verses 12 through 19 on Monday, we have the parable of the fig tree followed by the cleansing of the temple. So on Monday, Jesus tells what we think of and we sometimes call the parable of the fig tree. And what this is, is that this is a curse on the tree and it's illustrative of the rejection of the nation of Israel. And uh, I'm going to read this from the Ryrie Study Bible. It summarizes the parable of the fig tree uh, pretty well here. It says, quote, The curse on the tree is illustrative of the rejection of Israel, a nation unfruitful despite every advantage. And that's a good way to summarize that parable there. So again, on Monday, Jesus has returned, he having left Bethany. And then he sees a fig tree at a distance and tells the what we call parable of the fig tree. And then in verses 15 through 19, we see Jesus going into the temple. And this is where he drives out the money changers. It's sometimes referred to as the second temple cleansing. Now you might be sitting there thinking, okay, this is the second one. When is the first one? The first temple cleansing is earlier in Jesus' ministry. In fact, you can find it in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. But here on that Monday, we see that he goes into Jerusalem. And he, of course, tells on Monday the parable of the fig tree. And then we have the second cleansing of the temple. So this occurs on Monday, and it's again Mark 11, verses 12 through 19. Now as we proceed from Monday to Tuesday, you can see how Mark handles that, and we can see where the transition in the days is. In verse 19, it says, And when evening came, they would go out of the city. It's worth noting that, generally speaking, what you have is during the week of Easter or Passion, Early towards the middle part of the week, Jesus will leave Bethany and then go to Jerusalem. It's very close by. And then at the end of the day or towards the latter part of the afternoon, evening, he returns back to Bethany. And then the next day, he will go back to Jerusalem and so forth. So there is a little bit of sequence there until we get to Thursday. But then you'll notice in verse 20, it says, and as they were passing by in the morning. So what we have again is on Monday, the cleansing of the temple and the telling of the parable of the fig tree. And then we have on Tuesday, a new set of, if you will, instruction. 
So if you were going to read Tuesday of that week, it's Mark 11, verses 20 through 33. And here what we have is some additional dialogue, discussion, and teaching with the disciples on that Tuesday. So for example, if you look at verse 27, chapter 11, you'll see they came to Jerusalem and they go into the temple and the chief priest and the scribes and the elders come to him and they want to ask about his authority. So you see where Jesus is questioned there of his authority and his response. So again, what you have on Tuesday of the week of Easter and passion is you have continued discussion and teaching with his disciples. You see the descriptions that go on there. And then, of course, he does go to the temple. And there is the authority of Jesus questioned by the, pri the priests, the scribes, and the elders. And we see that in verses 27 through 33. So now having covered Sunday... Monday and Tuesday, the last thing that we'll look at is what occurred on Wednesday. So again, having looked at Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, what occurred the week of Easter or Passion on Wednesday? Now this one we will find in Mark 13 verses 1 through 37. So what happens on Wednesday is what we typically call the Olivet Discourse. You can find the longer version, if you will, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. But Mark includes it as well. And of course you can find this in Luke as well in chapter 21 beginning in verse 5. So if you wanted to read some more details and compare the three accounts, you can do that again, Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 37, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and then you can look at Luke 21, beginning in verse 5. Now you might be thinking to yourself, why is it called the Olivet Discourse? Now if you're wondering, well, why is it called the Olivet Discourse? Well, we know that it was taught at the Mount of Olives. Again, that's east of Jerusalem, across the Kedron Valley, and we typically refer to it there as a discourse. In other words, that's a teaching at the Mount of Olives. That would just be another way to think of it. Now, you may not recognize the title, but you probably could recognize some of the content because what happens is that Jesus' disciples ask him, and we see in verse 3 of Mark 13, that he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they were asking him, when will these things be? When will the sign of your coming and so forth come? And all of those things be fulfilled. So, what you have is a couple of questions that Jesus' disciples ask him on Wednesday. And the simple way to think of this is that some of them are fulfilled in the relatively immediate context. In other words, when was the temple to be destroyed? Well, we know that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and Jesus tells that that would happen. 
We also know that they ask when will the fulfillment of not just the destruction of the temple, but what would be the signs of the end of the age, for instance. So if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll get the idea that the questions are also related to the far distant future. So again, you have some things that were fulfilled in 70 AD, meaning the temple was destroyed. But then you have the remaining and the majority of the Olivet Discourse covering the future. Now today we would refer to those things as the tribulation period, the birth pangs that would come upon the world, the wars and rumors of wars. There's the reference to the false Christ, uh, the Antichrist, for instance. We see that there is the turning point in the middle of the tribulation period. For example, verse 14 of Mark 13, but when you see the abomination of desolation, that is, of course, when Antichrist puts himself to be in the place of God. So again, you have dealings with not only what I would call the immediate fulfillment, which is the temple destruction in 70 AD, you also have Jesus teaching about what will happen in the far distant future, persecution, tribulation period, the Antichrist. But then he describes in verses 24 through 27 what we would think of as the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus returns prior to the establishment of the millennial kingdom, which for us today is still future. You'll notice in Mark 13, verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son, the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of of heaven. So again, what we have there on Wednesday is that the Lord wanted the disciples, but also us by extension, meaning through the record, recording here in Mark, as well as Matthew and Luke, to know that the future is in the Lord's hands. So again, the context is they are approaching Jesus's betrayal and crucifixion. And one of the things that the text is teaching the disciples, but also us, is that the Lord has all of the future under his control that's all in his hands. Even the events of that week, even the events that sovereignly are allowed in terms of the temple destruction, but even looking into the far off, distant, very distant future from them, and who knows for us, but that one day that the Lord would obviously return and he would, at that point, establish his messianic kingdom. So as we look out to close out part one of this two-part study of what occurred chronologically the week of Easter or Passion, we see that on Sunday of that week, we begin on Palm Sunday with the triumphal entry. Monday, Jesus tells the parable of the fig tree and the second cleansing of the temple. Tuesday, you have the discussion with the disciples as well as the exchange with the scribes and the Pharisees and such. But then on Wednesday of that week, Jesus gives the Olivet Discourse, 
answering the disciples' questions that they have related to the future as well as the destruction of the temple and so forth. Well, I hope this has given you at least a good overview of Sunday through Wednesday. In the next episode, we will look at Thursday through Easter Sunday. Well, until then, may the Lord bless you.